We all know as Christians that at times we choose to sin or we discover that we have committed some sin against God after coming to Christ. How do we respond? Many times we treat our sins so flippantly and have little sorrow or remorse. Understand that it takes godly sorrow in order for us to be able to repent. Hello and welcome to the Netcast Podcast, where you will find Bible studies that follow an in-depth approach to sharing the good news about Jesus Christ. I am your host, Mark Hatfield, and my prayer is that you are encouraged by these lessons from the Word of God. Thank you for listening to today's message. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Netcast Podcast. Please get your Bible in hand and turn to Psalm 6. We are in our series in Psalms, and we will be reviewing another prayer or a song of David in an attempt to learn what I have titled the Prayer of the Penitent. David is going to be pouring his heart out to God in lament and is going to ask God some very specific things that he needs during his time of repentance. This psalm is again directed to the chief musician, but this time it was to be played on stringed instruments with an eight-string lyre. While our purpose is to study the lyrics of the psalm, it is always important to keep in the forefront of your mind that this was a song used in worship to God by Israel. For the most part, very few people feel the weight of their sins anymore. Yes, Jesus carried them all to Calvary, and we are free from the burden of sin by His sacrificial death and our obedience to the gospel. But those of us who have been washed in His blood through our baptism have had our sins washed away, and yet sometimes we forget our purification. We all know as Christians that at times we choose to sin or we discover that we have committed some sin against God after coming to Christ. How do we respond? Many times we treat our sins so flippantly and have little sorrow or remorse. Understand that it takes godly sorrow in order for us to be able to repent. Sorrow doesn't cut it. We have to have a change of heart that results in a change of action. We need to get cut to the heart or pricked in the heart. David is going to feel it at the core of his being as he had to do something about it, or he feels like he's literally going to die and fall into the hand of God for judgment. If you listen to this psalm, you will gain a step-by-step process for penitence before God. Our lesson is going to point out how you can pray and ask God to withhold judgment in verse 1, to be gracious in verses 2 through 4, to hear our prayer in verses 5 to 9, and finally, to make all of our enemies ashamed, verse 10. Let's read Psalm 6, and hopefully this message will challenge you to do a personal examination in consideration of your own spiritual standing before God. Having a broken and contrite heart before God is a spirit that God will respond to and remedy. The hardest part is seeing our own life through David's words. For the choir director, with stringed instruments upon an eight-string lyre, a psalm of David. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am pining away. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are dismayed, and my soul is greatly dismayed. But you, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, rescue my soul. Save me because of your loving kindness, for there is no mention of you in death. In Sheol, who will give you thanks? I am weary with my sighing. Every night I make my bed swim. I dissolve my couch with my tears. My eyes have wasted away with grief. It has become old because of all my adversaries. Depart from me, all you who do iniquity, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord receives my prayer 
All my enemies will be ashamed and greatly dismayed. They shall turn back. They will suddenly be ashamed. The very first point that we want to consider from Psalm 6 is found in verse 1. We pray and ask God to withhold judgment. He says, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your wrath. So when he says, do not rebuke me in anger, we understand that it is one thing to receive a rebuke, but it is another thing to be rebuked by someone who is angry with you. And David is not asking God to refrain from rebuking him as much as he is concerned about God being angry with him, as in Deuteronomy 9 and verse 8 and Numbers 32 and verse 13. David clearly feels guilty for some wrongdoing, and he knows God's position on sin. He hates it. And if God was going to rebuke David, he preferred that it come from a loving father rather than an angry judge. Now, the second part of verse 1 is, Do not chasten me in wrath. Again, David is not asking God to ignore his sin and forego any chastisement. He is asking God to make sure that he doesn't bring wrath against him. All parents need to discipline their children, no doubt, but we never want to do it at the peak of our frustration because we can be too harsh. So David is asking God to hear him out and approach this in gentleness because David was repenting of what he did wrong. David accepts the father's chastisement, but he does not want to experience the wrath of Almighty God. Romans 1.18, John 3.36, Psalm 7, verse 11. Now we turn to the second point from Psalm 6, and that is found in verses 2 through 4. We pray and ask God to be gracious. He says, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am pining away. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are dismayed, and my soul is greatly dismayed. But you, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, rescue my soul. Save me because of your loving kindness. And so the first thing that David asks is, Be gracious and heal me, O Lord. You see, the opposite of God's anger and wrath is his grace. David asks God to be kind and good to him. David basically tells God that in his sin, he is pining away. David has wept so much over his own sin that he feels like he's already wasting away. He needs God to be tender toward him. David is not asking God to accept his sin, to tolerate his ways, or to change his will to David's will, but to help him get rid of all of the unrighteousness. He asks God specifically to heal him. He feels his sin like a sickness down into his bones, even to his very soul being greatly dismayed. And David asks here, How long? How long do I have to continue feeling this way? I need relief. More importantly, I need to be healed completely. I want to feel whole again. I want to be right with you, Lord. Do we ever reach this point when we sin against God? We know He has extended grace to us and healed us from all of our iniquities in Jesus, His beloved Son. Paul says that we should not use grace as a license to sin. And John wrote to Christians that they might not sin, but reminded them that if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. When we sin, do we realize that we are putting Christ to an open shame over and over again? We are putting Him back on that cross and asking Him to suffer more. I'm trying to get us to feel what David was feeling in this moment. God had blessed David greatly, so when David sinned, it crushed him and weighed heavily on his entire being. We need to get back to this place where we see sin as something that hurts God, tramples underfoot the blood of the covenant by which we were sanctified, and it grieves and insults the Holy Spirit. 
Do you realize this truth today? Then David says, Return and rescue my soul, O Lord. When we live in sin, we know that the Lord must turn away because He is holy. Psalm 5 taught us that no evil dwells with God. And although God had not abandoned David, he certainly felt distance from God in the error of his ways. So David asked God to return as if he had left. Again, it wasn't about proximity as much as it was about desiring sweet fellowship with God again. Having a clean conscience before God is the key. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. This closeness that we have with God is marred by sin. And until we repent and change, God's face must be turned away and he is separated from us. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. David adds to this request for the Lord to return that God would rescue his soul. Anytime God steps into a sinner's life, it is a rescue mission. He comes to seek and save the lost. Luke 19, verse 10. It wasn't enough for Jesus to come to the earth. He also came to rescue us from sin. And when someone is lost out at sea, the team that boards the helicopter and joins the search party is not going to just locate the lost. They're going to perform a rescue mission. They will fly into the high winds and barely hover above the treacherous waves, dropping in lifelines and rescuers to pull out the one that is drifting and dying. And the same is true of Jesus. This required him to go to the cross and die for the sins of the world. He then ascended on high to be enthroned at the right hand of God to forever make intercession for those who would come to him. He will return again one day, and we need to pray that it is to rescue us rather than to punish us. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1-11, and 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 6-12. Unfortunately, some people will never repent and seek the Lord, and they will fall into the hands of the living God in judgment. And it is a fearful thing to face this wrath. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31. And then David says, Save and love me, O Lord. The biggest request was not to ask God to rescue him, but for the Lord to save him. Using our illustration of the team going to find someone lost at sea, would they merely pull the body out of the water? No, they will revive the person if necessary, wrap them in dry blankets, give them treatment, fly them to safety, and monitor them. And when God comes to rescue, He doesn't just pull us out of trouble, but He takes us in and makes us His own, providing for all of our needs according to His riches in Jesus Christ. He is good to us. He saves us. Praise be to God. There are many things that we might be rescued out of, but being saved by the Lord, both physically and spiritually, is the greatest blessing we can receive from Him. The salvation of the Lord is based on His loving kindness, and David pleads for this. Because He is love, He endeavors to save His people from their sin. And David, realizing that he is in the wrong, asks in hope that it is not too much to request that God would swoop in again to deliver and save him from his sin. Now we turn our attention to verses 5 through 9, where David says, I ask you, God, to hear me. For there is no mention of you in death, David says, in Sheol, who will give you thanks? I am weary with my sighing. Every night I make my bed swim. I dissolve my couch with my tears. My eye has wasted away with grief. It has become old because of all my adversaries. Depart from me, all you who do iniquity, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord receives my prayer. 
The first thing that David wants God to hear is to hear his giving of thanks and praise. David doesn't come out here and ask God straight away to hear him give thanks. He approaches this from a different perspective. David states that people who die and go to the grave can no longer show gratitude towards God. God is not even remembered by the physical mind once we cease to live on the earth. And God knows this, but David is making this very personal. This same thought is expressed in other places in the Psalms as well. In Psalm 30 and verse 9, David says, What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Shall the dust praise you? Shall it declare your truth? In Psalm 88:11, we find, Shall your loving kindness be declared in the grave or your faithfulness in destruction? This is also declared in the writings of the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 38:18 in the language of Hezekiah. He said, The grave cannot praise you, death cannot celebrate you, they that go down into the pit cannot hope for your truth. So since David took so much great pleasure in thinking about God and giving thanks to his name, he is still building on his previous request for the Lord to rescue and save him. He is saying that if you let me waste away and I perish, I can no longer live this life for you and praise your name. In this statement, David is not denying the life to come after we die. He is merely pointing out how his ability to honor the Lord on earth would cease. You can't pray when you're dead. You can't sing songs of praise when you're in the grave. You can't shout hallelujah once you've taken your last breath. In Psalm 16, 10 and 11, we hear David write, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life, and your presence is the fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. The beauty of this verse is that it was fulfilled in Christ when he was resurrected and did not suffer decay. Yet his rising from the dead gives us all a hope of resurrection. In Psalm 17:15, we hear David say, As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. And so indeed, David did have the hope of a life to come. He might also be concerned that if he died in his sin, it very well could be the last time that he could praise the Lord and meditate on him. By sparing David, God is permitting him to go on living a life of praise and gratitude in the midst of a bunch of people who mock and rebel against God. These are his adversaries or his enemies. So David says in verse 6, Hear my sighing and my crying. A second thing that David wants God to hear is how weary he is from sighing. Last time we studied in the book of Psalms, we mentioned how God hears our groaning. Sometimes that is done with no words, just sounds. Have you ever found yourself sighing over something in your life that you know needs to change? Well, you're not alone. David says that it is a nightly routine for him to flood his bed with his tears. Listen to David. I make my bed swim. I dissolve my couch with tears. When we sin against our holy God, how do we respond? I know sometimes when I contemplate God's love and the story of the cross, in reading the word of God or in partaking of the Lord's Supper, from time to time my eyes well up with tears and I am moved by the message. Sometimes I sing a hymn about God's mercy or grace and I can hardly sing because I get choked up. I will have to admit, though, that there have been very few times where I cried so much that I swam in my own tears that I soaked my pillow in pouring out my heart to God. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he cried tears of blood. He was praying so intently. When he prayed over the lost state of Jerusalem, he wept over them, saying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. 
How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Truthfully, we have become hardened in many ways, and the realization of what we do to God when we sin no longer seems to impact people the way that it once did. Sin is no laughing matter, but people make light of it all the time. We ought to melt inside every time we think of an evil thought instead of sinning willfully with no regrets. There will no longer be a sacrifice available to cleanse us from our sins if we deny Jesus and we do not repent of our sins and remain faithful to him. Next, David says in verse 7, hear my grief. So David wants God to actually hear his grieving. Grief is a really strong word here. Nobody enjoys the grieving process, but when a loved one dies or we go through some period of extended sickness or trouble, it can send us on a roller coaster ride with grief. It has been discovered that there are five stages of grief, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Grief itself is defined as deep sorrow, but David has moved past deep sorrow to full repentance. He is ready to move on. And David connects his grief with his crying by saying that his eye has wasted away with grief. Have you ever cried so much that your eyes are sore and you just don't feel like you can cry anymore because you've emptied your tear ducts and you are physically drained? This is where David is before God in prayer. David then identifies the source of his grief when he says, It has become old because of my adversaries. David has enemies and this has caused him much grief. Here David proclaims before God and loud enough that perhaps his enemies could hear it, Depart from me, all you who do iniquity. If we hope to be rescued from sin, we need to get rid of the sinful influences in our life. Ask them to leave, put it to prayer. And then David says in verse 8, Hear my weeping. Right after David asks sinners to depart from him, he includes in the same sentence, For the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. David's enemies have forced him to cry aloud because he is caught up in the same iniquity that they practiced, and he needs a reprieve. And while we might say that David is just repeating himself and expressing the same thought over and over again, it is clear that each part of what David says is saying something distinct and unique. Yes, David asked God to hear his sighing, his crying, and his grief, but weeping is different from crying, sighing, or grief. Weeping is when we wail before God because we have no other hope. We fall to our knees in desperation and pour out our deepest hurts and pains before God. One day, God will wipe away all tears from our eyes, but he continues and makes a list of all the things that we will no longer have to endure. In Revelation chapter 21, death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. One of the most beautiful passages on this subject is found in Psalm 56 and verse 8, where David wrote, You have kept count of all of my tossings. You put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? God knows when you toss and turn anxiously and restlessly, counting and collecting every tear we shed and keeping record of every heartache and pain. It is amazing and such a blessing that we serve a God that is invested in us and concerned for us. Finally, in verse 9, David says, Hear my pleas for help and supplication, my petitions or my requests in prayer. Supplications are a form of begging God to help us. David says that God hears our pleas for his divine assistance. We just need to pour our hearts out to him. Prayers are merely petitions that we lift up before the throne of God. And Paul said, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, 
let your request be made known to God. Philippians 4, verse 6. Paul makes a distinction himself between prayer and supplication because sometimes we offer a simple petition and other times we fall to our knees and beg God to step in. And this leads us then to our final point from this psalm in verse 10. We pray and ask God to make our enemies ashamed. All my enemies, David said, will be ashamed and greatly dismayed. They shall turn back. They will suddenly be ashamed. So we pray for our enemies, but sometimes we don't always pray for them about things we might think we should pray. When Jesus teaches us to pray for our enemies and to pray for those that persecute us for righteousness' sake, we often reply that this is a challenging thing to do. But consider here that David prayed for his enemies. He is still talking to God and verbally expresses that he wants his enemies to feel shame for their sin like he had to face. And just as he was dismayed in his bones and in his soul, he prayed for his enemies to experience the same, which leads us to repentance. Praying for those that hate you, those that use you or abuse you, doesn't mean that your prayer is always positive and pleasant. You might be asking God to break your enemy, humble them, bring them low. Consider how many times in the Psalms of David, he prayed for God to crush those that were against him. That is also a form of praying for or about your enemies to God. We need to pray for their penitence. Another form of praying for our enemies could match the cry of Jesus on the cross. What did Jesus say? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. It wasn't that the forgiveness was immediately extended to them at that moment. It was on that first Pentecost, following the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, that Peter stood up and preached Jesus to them, while informing them that they had crucified the Son of God and commanded them to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and they would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, Acts 2.38. Those that responded to the invitation were saved and added to the Lord's church, Acts 2.41 and verse 47. When we come to a place where we seek the forgiveness of God and for Him to bless us with His presence again, we must remember all of those people that are around us who have not reached this place of having a penitent heart and pray on their behalf. Sometimes it is best to ask God to do whatever it takes to bring others to their knees in humility so that they can seek the Lord before it is too late. This is not always a peaceful transition, but a painful change of heart. So our lesson today has taught us how we need to pray and ask God to withhold judgment in verse 1, to be gracious in verses 2 through 4, to hear our prayers in verses 5 to 9, and to make our enemies ashamed, verse 10. If you've been an enemy of the cross and you're still living in your sins, we extend the gospel invitation to you today to come in obedience to the Lord by putting your faith in Him, repenting of your sins, confessing that you believe Jesus is the Savior, and then being immersed in water for the remission of your sins. There you can begin to pursue a life that is dedicated in service to the Lord and His kingdom. If you've stumbled as a child of God, seek His grace again today like David did, knowing that He desires your broken and contrite heart to be restored to Him and His kingdom. We are told that if we confess our faults and pray, that He is willing to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and allow us to enjoy His sweet fellowship again. God is a good Father, and He waits with open arms for those that have need of His love and forgiveness. Waiting or delaying is to play around with His fierce anger or wrath that will come upon those that never obey the gospel or are found unfaithful at His coming. How can we assist you in being ready for that day to come? Would you reach out to me by email 
Would you contact me in some way and say, I'm ready to start my new life with Christ, or I'm ready to restore my relationship? I would love to assist you in getting in contact with a local church in your area who can help you in these steps and be an encouragement to you in your spiritual walk. Thank you for listening. Have you visited the Netcast podcast store yet? This is going to provide you with a place to get your Netcast merch. At the same time, you will be supporting the Netcast podcast with a portion of your purchase and securing an opportunity to talk about the faith that we share together on this podcast. Click the shop link to learn more at netcasthost.com forward slash shop. Thank you for your support in advance. In season six titled Psalms of Life, I have a special offer that is connected with the series in the book of Psalms. If you partner with Netcast during our sixth season, I want to send you the complete outline for the studies, but I will also be including the supplemental PowerPoint slideshows to guide you in your study. If you want to become a partner or make a donation, you can send PayPal donations using netcasthost at gmail.com or visit patreon.com forward slash netcast to learn more about how you can get on board with this podcast. I have also added this podcast to buymeacoffee.com forward slash netcasthost where you can send a small gift of any amount to help support the show. Thank you in advance. If you are not able to support this ministry effort financially at this time, would you please consider doing one of the following? First, please subscribe and continue to be a dedicated listener. Next, please share Netcast with your friends and family and encourage them to subscribe. Finally, consider leaving a review for the podcast so that your positive feedback could encourage others to listen. Take a few moments after we sign off today to visit our website at netcasthost.com. Here you will find transcripts of the podcast on the blog. You can sign up for the free newsletter, become a member, and join Netcast for free, which will give you access to hidden portions of the podcast host site like our members forum and so much more. Don't forget to check out our social media sites on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Be sure to like and follow the podcast as we use these sites to keep you current on what is happening at Netcast. Every new episode is announced on these media outlets. Until next time, God bless you richly in Jesus Christ, our Lord.